0: Well, hey, it's March 3rd. We made it to March. Thank you, Jesus. February is over. I just thought I'd pick my most obnoxious Hawaiian shirt to kind of remind you of that, that we're in March now. Spring's coming, at least for our part of Canada. There's a couple more months for some other people, like in Edmonton. But, but for here, spring is coming. I don't know if you can smell the beginning of it, but we were out at uh, Neck Point taking a walk yesterday. And you can kind of smell, you know, when that, that thing you know spring is coming, it's a cool feeling. And uh, I'm not normally a super clean freak person, but I kind of get the spring cleaning bug about now as spring comes, particularly when we lived on the prairie. Um, we had a five-acre place and a whole lot of uh, acreage, and, and uh, when the snow finally disappeared... It's shocking what's under all that snow for four months. You know, there's tree branches, and uh, we had two big dogs in the yard. I won't tell you what else is under the snow, but a lot. Just the whole place and everything is dingy and dirty, and your clothes are all muddy, and you're all worn out. And then spring comes, and you get this cleaning bug, and you start to get rid of all the stuff. We would take all the take the chainsaw, out, get all the dead branches down, have a big huge bonfire. You know, load the pickup up with all this garbage. Don't be a hater if you've never been from the prairie. Take it to the take it to the land fill you know, and just get it all out of the truck. Oh, it just feels so good, you know? Spring cleaning, out with the old, in with the new. I think we're, we're coming into that season, and, and this morning, I think there's a spiritual connection in that too. In this scripture that we're going to look at this morning in Colossians chapter 3, you got your Bible, I invite you to turn there. It's a pretty good description of actually what this whole first part of Colossians 3 is, out with the old, in with the new. So before we start to dive in there, let's just pray again. I just had a picture as we were worshiping of a person driving a car and coming to a big chasm, and, the, and there was a big sign said bridge out. And you could see there was no way to get from here to there, and you, you had to be stopped. But I just felt Jesus say there is a way, and I saw this big bridge just descend down and make a way. And so, Lord, I just pray, Lord, for people this morning that are feeling like the bridge is out, There's no way to get from here to there, whatever that is, Lord, that you would make a way this morning. Lord, use this scripture. Holy Spirit, we know that you are around us, but more importantly, that you are in us as Christians this morning. So, Lord, I thank you for the ministry you've already been doing, Lord, and we say more. More, Lord. Strongholds come down. Uh, Help us out of cul-de-sacs. Help us out of the places where we're stuck, and we just ask you to do this this morning. Amen. So we look at Colossians 3, and we'll take it in a couple of chunks this morning. Let's look at 1 to 4. He says, If then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things of the earth. For you've died, and your life is hidden with Christ. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. This first four verses talks about living with heaven in mind. And as Christians, we know where we're headed, we we get the theology of that, but life can bog us down and we can get stuck in the day-to-day of sort of just going through life. And he says, if you've been raised with Christ, that came out of the last chapter, we talked about that in the last couple weeks, you could also say, since you've been raised with Christ. He's not wondering about it, he's saying, because of the fact that you've been raised with Christ, what you can do is you can set your eyes on things above. Where Christ is seated at the right hand. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things of the earth. How many of you have learned that your gaze determines your destination? What you're looking at turns out where you go. So if you're, you know, hiking in the woods and you can see a tree or see a mountain and you can head toward that, even if you have to go around it and up and down and can maybe lose perspective, you will end up in that place because that's where your gaze is bringing you. I learned this the hard way in motorcycle riding. My best friend, Mike... Uh, in church here was a big time harley rider and uh, i wanted to be a harley guy i I just thought you know i can just see myself big fat boy get my beard to go down shave my head it's the look you know and i talked him into teaching me to ride and so i was practicing doing all the road riding borrowed a bike from a, a friend in church and and came to my road test day and i thought oh i got this man i've been riding bikes since i was a kid no problem but they have these little cones and they make you go and the first thing is to get on the bike and you can't touch your feet and you have to go around these little cones. I thought, this is so easy. About 10 feet into the course, going one mile an hour, I just went crash, you know, and the bike's going and they're all running up to help me. That's what they call an instant fail. (laughs) (laughs) But what I realized was I had forgot Mike's teaching in motorcycle riding. He said, you got to look where you want the bike to go. And I had been looking down and I had lost my perspective. That's so true of our Christian life. It's so easy for us to get caught up in the little mundane stuff of the day and the pressures of getting to work on time and the kid with snotty nose and are we going to be able to make the mortgage and all those kinds of things that take place. And Paul is starting out and saying, because you've been raised with Christ, you're actually already in that place. Raise your eyes up and get your perspective up into heaven because your gaze determines your destiny. But this is something you can choose to do. This is what's amazing about the Christian life. Each day, we're given a choice about how much we want to cooperate with God. Jesus in Luke 9, 9.23 says, Jesus said, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. We have a choice as Christians about how much we're going to cooperate with God throughout the day. Because when we start to look at heaven, it changes our perspective um christian growth is not automatic you know what that means like once you're saved just because you come here and sit here and you've maybe known grumpy old christians that have come you know for 40 years in the same pew heaven help that person who sits in their spot right you know and they've been a christian for 40 years but they're just ugly they're just grumpy you know they're just nasty just because they've been a christian for that long doesn't mean that they have changed We can choose to cooperate with God. We can choose to work with God's purposes in our life and see those changes take place, come in our lives. Before we were in Christ, we were dead in sin. But now, in Christ, we're dead to sin. See, God wants to be able to take this past, these things from the past, and get that stuff out of our life. The cool thing is when we're saved, when we come to know Jesus Christ as our Savior, that's not the end of the deal. We're not just saved and stuck. God doesn't go tick, okay, that person's good. He can stay on earth for 50 years until he comes to heaven. No, he has purposes for us to grow into Christ. God is passionate about freeing us from our past life. It's interesting what's been going through the threads in prayer and in worship this morning about God wanting to free us from our past lives. He's passionate about making us more like his son. But the stunning thing about that is is we can choose to cooperate with that process or not. God's been gracious in that. Let's look back at Colossians. So he said the first thing is you can choose, set your things on on things above. But look in verse 3. Here's a present reality for who a Christian is. He says, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ. This is the reality of what it means to be a Christian uh, theologians call this justification it's a one time judicial act where Jesus takes his righteousness and sticks it on us and takes our crud and t- puts it on the cross nails it to the cross that's our justification it's freedom from the penalty of sin this is what he's talking about when he's talking about your life is hidden with Christ and God when God looks at you he sees Jesus because Jesus is in you he doesn't see the old you of, of mess up screw up rebellious person he sees Christ in you That's a true reality for who we are. So we have been justified. You can say, yes, I have been saved. That's that's entirely correct. Look at the next verse. But he says, when Christ, who is in who is your life, appears, you will also appear with him in glory. There's also a future component to what's coming for us as Christians. Again, this is called glorification. This is the time when either we die or Jesus returns, and we're in the presence of God and we're freed from the presence of sin. There is no sin in heaven. And it's a guaranteed future reality for those of you that have accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord. The scripture says the Holy Spirit is actually the down payment, the seal in your life so that you know that. So there's two things in our salvation that are for sure. We have been saved and we will be saved. If you want to think about it that way. But in the middle is a thing called sanctification. And that's Jesus helping us catch up to who we already are it's helping us start to look like the identity of who we are now I know it's shocking to you but I'm an American I was born in America Uh, you know I am Air Force family born in Texas I'm about as American as you can get All right, okay American but I fell in love with a Canadian girl and you know we've been in Canada for like 25 years now and a lot of people don't know that I'm Canadian that I'm American because I I'm I sound Canadian now it sneaks out sometimes okay but when I first moved to Canada everybody was like you're not from around here are you because I looked very American even though I was Canadian I needed to kind of become Canadian does that make sense that's true of who we are in Christ Jesus has saved us we're justified we are right before the father powerful songs we sang this morning he declares us righteous in Jesus but how many of you know not all of us look like that okay how about your spouse they don't always look like that is that easier we have some catching up to do and this scripture that we're talking about today is that middle place between being justified that judicial act and when Christ comes back or we see him being glorified in that middle ground there's things that God is doing that we get to choose to cooperate with him or not and when we start to see things in a heavenly perspective these things change now, last week, if you were around or heard the sermon at the end of 2, it was all about no rules. Don't tie me down with rules. And everyone was like, "Amen, hey, man, no rules, no rules, you know. <laughs> I, hope, I hope you didn't, like, get in trouble and go off the wagon or something this week because of that preach last week, all right? That's very true. Human rules aren't going to do us any good. But there are things that God wants us to do. So as I said earlier, last week, God, we, we've been set free from a bunch of stuff, but what I want you to see in chapter 3 is that we've been set free for a bunch of stuff. And that's this part of becoming like who we are, already are in Jesus. Catching up with our identity. Before Christ, we were dead in sin. Now that's taken care of. It's been justified. We're not, no longer dead in sin. But we're learning to be dead to sin. That's a different kind of a deal. So today we're talking about that in-between line. That space after we receive Jesus as Savior, but before we see Christ in heaven, okay? That's the, where we're, the space we're in right now. And it's important for us to set the stage in this because we look at the scripture, it almost looks like a whole bunch of do's kinds of things that we have to put on, but we have to understand that in perspective that the things that are in this passage that we're going to look at in just a minute, these are not things that we're doing to get saved. We've already been saved in Jesus. They're not things that we're doing to make God happier with us. He already sees Christ in us, Okay. These are things that we're choosing to cooperate with in God that are helping us become the person we already are. Okay? So we got to get that don't, it's not schizophrenic between last week and this week. It's the same gospel. But these are two pieces. This is a fuller picture of what God is doing in us. He hasn't just saved us and then dumped us. He saved us and he wants us to become like who we are. So let's look at those things. Let's look at Colossians five uh, three five. So, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetous, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. Okay, it gets really quiet. As soon as we start talking about sex, it's like, oh, man, can't, you can't say those words in church. Um, he says, put to death, therefore. Interesting, because he said, we're dead in Christ already, but we, he's saying to us, we need to choose to put to death these old ways that we lived. And there's no more powerful way, uh, you know, more and more powerful tendencies and habits than our sexuality before Christ. The things we did before Christ and who we are in Christ are many times very different. So he talks about this list of sexual immorality and even covetousness, means I want something more before God. In this context, it could be I want this other person sexually, and I want that more than I want God. That can become an idol in our life he says that on account of these, the wrath of God is coming. Some people get stressed out when they hear about the wrath of God, that God's a wrathful God. He, yes, he's a loving God. Yes, he's long-suffering. Yes, he's gracious. Yes, he's merciful. But he's also a judge, and he also is wrathful against sin. Not wrath like when some guy loses his control and beats his kids, that kind of wrath. This is a righteous response to sin on the earth, is what we're talking about here. And what Paul is saying is those things that you did so freely before Christ, everybody did them. You just thought they were normal. Paul says those have got to go now because you're a new creation in Christ. You're a different person than when you are. Look in verse 7. He says, in these you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you've been changed. This is a pretty um, obvious list. And one of the things I love about Christianity is when we're first saved, it seems like, God is working on very, very big things in our life, right? So maybe you get saved and you're like, you're reading the word of God. You know, I don't think I'm supposed to be stealing money out of the till at work anymore. (laughs) God, that's probably not right. I I don't want to do that. Can you help me not do that? You know, you're like, I don't think I'm supposed to be having sex with this lady that I'm not married to. Wow, maybe, you know, these are big things that God brings in your life. And he brings them from the inside out. But well, we start to realize those things, these very big things. And yeah, they got to change because we start to realize we've changed. So why would I keep living in the way that I was when I was dead to Christ? After Christ, I'm seated with Christ in heavenly places. I want to let my life catch up to where I am, if that makes sense. So he says these things have got to be put to death. And it's a choice, this middle space between justification and the glorification. We get to choose and we get to cooperate with what God wants to do. But those things that are very obvious, how many of you know, if you've been a Christian for a while, you go from the big things, the two by four kinds of sins, and as you grow and God deals with those things, things get a little more subtle and God begins to touch areas that you hadn't thought of before. Look at verse 8. He says, but now you must put away, put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another. Now these are more Christiany sins, right? <laughs> okay, you know, no, I'm not doing all those big bad sins, but let me tell you about this sister and what she's—oh, she's, she's a little gossip there, a little slander, right? That's Christiany kinds of stuff. But what Paul is saying is, all of this has got to go. In in God's economy, there are no big sins and small sins. We get our minds uh, messed around about that and say, okay, I've gotten rid of the big sins in my life, I'm all good. But all sin has one. Uh, result, separation from God. So God is concerned about all sin, the big sins, the visible ones, and the much less visible ones that are more socially acceptable, even lying to one another, right? Different sin has different consequences. If I lie to you and if I murder you, those there's a different outcome, right? But they have the same penalty in Christ. So what Paul's saying, as we grow in Christ, as we start to cooperate, as the years go by in Jesus, he's fine-tuning things in our lives. like, you know what? that never used to bother me but it bothers me now and I know it's not right Lord I want to be able to start to tell truth or whatever the issue is here so he talks about these things in terms of verse 9 he says um, you have put off the old self with his practices so you're choosing again to cooperate with God to get these things out of your life God will not automatically remove those things from your life. This is the part I don't get about justification and sanctification. I think God, it would be much easier if we just got saved and we're like instant, oh, holiness, two feet off the ground, you know, a halo on our head. I don't know why he did it that way, but that's the way it is. I think he did it so we can learn to trust him and we can start to see his power through us in our life. But we've got to choose to cooperate with God to get these things out of our life. So holiness matters to God. You know, it's not something that gets talked about in church, you know, in in our generation, holiness and purity and righteousness. But that stuff matters to God. Why does it matter to him? Because he knows that sin brings death. It brings death to relationships. It brings death to us. And he doesn't want anything to do with sin. He doesn't want us to be stuck in sin. So he's given of his Holy Spirit and his power and his word to help us be victorious over that sin. You see how amazing this is that he's not done with us? Now look at verse 10. He says, you to put off the old self, but you put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Now, in another issue he talks about, verse 11. Here is not Greek and Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ all in all. He touches about another issue in our lives, bigotry. And first century had bigotry uh, in spades groups hated each other. All the Jews, the way they defined the rest of the world was non-Jews. You know? The Greeks would look at barbarians, uneducated, uncouth people. In this list, there's actually the Scythians in here. They're like the worst of the worst. They're like barbarians who are even bad, bite heads off rats, you know, don't know how to talk and complete the language. I mean, they're just, whatever the group you think is the worst, most worthless group on earth, that's who the Scythians were. And what Paul's saying is what Christ is doing, those old things, those mental strongholds in your head about we and they, they've got to go in Christ. Now that's a lot of work. How many of you know that? That getting over those prejudices, getting over those things in our life where we thought, where we were taught about who people are by our mom or our dad or our school or our workplace, those jokes that we say about other groups, Paul says that doesn't have any place anymore in Christianity. You've got to choose to cooperate to let God renew your mind about those old ways of thinking about people because God is bringing together every nation, every tribe, every tongue into his body in christ and heaven's going to be the ultimate expression of multiculturalism (laughs) all nations are going to be in heaven okay so he says this has got to go as well but these are things that we're choosing to cooperate with god in okay we're putting these things off we're putting these things to death under the direction of the holy spirit and god in our life not because we need to Make God happier with us. It's not a hamster treadmill that you got to do all this stuff, and if you get enough done, you're saved. No, you're already saved in Jesus. His blood is complete. So don't mix this up. It's so easy to do. You can hear a message like this and go home and say, oh, i got to quit this and quit this and quit this. You might need to do that, but your motivation for doing that is not to make Jesus happy with you. It's to make you more like Jesus, which is already who you are in Christ. You already have a position in God it's come out a couple times already this morning it's just catching up to that and we're choosing to cooperate with God in that so Paul says you've got to put some things to death in your life you've got to choose to put to death some things in your life don't be afraid of that in your life don't be afraid of tackling those things with God those things that you can't seem to get free of God is a great God his arm is not too short They're going to pray with the body, Help get help, get in places where people understand. It's just, I love what's taking place in our church and connect groups, freedom sessions. God's just breaking open doors right now in those kinds of things because of the power of God in people's lives. They are becoming like who they already are in Christ. Okay, let's keep going. So he says, I want you to put to death some things, but then I want you to put some things on. Now, I know there are people that get excited about spring fashions. (laughs) I mean, I hear it. I don't know. I, I suppose they're out there. They go to stores and they buy spring fashions. They're like, this is the spring line. I hear words like that on TV, the spring line. You know, and they get new clothes that are spring clothes. Now, I obviously don't understand that because you know the extent of my spring wardrobe is I put my winter coat in the back of the closet that's about it all right but there are people I think that buy spring clothes don't raise your hands okay right and and you're all excited about colors and the new fabrics and all this for your spring outfit spring is here I'm gonna dress like bless you but if all that stuff stays in the closet that you've bought what good does it do it's got to get put on that new thing, that new uh, style, that new color, that's got to get on you, and you've got to get out wearing it in order for it to make any sense. Okay? And that's what Paul's saying is now. You say, look, there's some stuff you have to get off, but there's also some stuff I want you to put on. So let's look at that list. Put on, therefore, is God's chosen, I mean, verse 12. Put on, therefore, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. Well, man, don't blow by that. Put on as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. That's your status with God. Chosen, beloved, holy, set apart for a purpose. That's the way God sees us. So don't start into this list like, oh, tick, 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 got to Before you realize that God has already thought this thing way through before you were. And he's got ways in his power and his Holy Spirit to help you do this. And we're not doing it to please him. We're doing it to become more like him. Such a different approach. So let's keep going. Now I'll get to the list. You know I I had to get there, but here we go. So here's the things I want you to put on. Compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bearing with none another, and if one has a complaint against one another, forgiving each other as the Lord's forgiven you. You must also forgive, and above all, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body to be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another with wisdom and singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanksgiveness to God in your heart. Now, does that sound like a bad list? Does anybody go, I don't want to be like that. That sucks. No, man. I mean, I would love to be that person. I'd love to hang out with the person that's like that. That reminds me of Jesus... When I think about his story on earth, you know, I I like to just close my eyes after I read the gospels and imagine what would it have been like to see Jesus doing these things? Well, it would look a lot like this because this is Christ being formed in us. And Paul's saying, I want you to put these things on. You get to choose to cooperate with me. I'm not automatically going to do that in your Christian life. You need to cooperate with me. I want you to learn to trust me and to see victory in these areas and to put them on your life. A lot of these things have to do with how we work together with each other, how we treat the people around us. If you look at this list, forgiveness, putting on love, perfect harmony, particularly talking about in the body of Christ, how we get along. Christianity is insanely practical, if it's anything. It's not just theory. If we're not changing, we're kind of kidding ourselves, to tell you the truth. It's just sort of like a hobby, right? We should expect to see results and changes in our life. Five years from now, we shouldn't be the same people we are now if we're cooperating with Jesus because he's got a plan every day for us to become more and more like him. And these are the things that he wants to have come into our life as we cooperate with each other. It's a beautiful picture of the body of Christ, putting love on together. How many of you know, you know, normally this group wouldn't get along too well. (laughs) Look around you, you know. I mean, there's a whole lot of different things going on in this room. And the only thing that's going to make a church, a local church, work is Christ in us. Uh, It doesn't make much sense apart from that. But look at these things. Putting on love, putting on forgiveness, living in perfect harmony, peace of Christ, ruling in your hearts, thankfulness. This just comes up every week in Colossians. Thankfulness, just overflowing thankfulness for the goodness of God. And teaching and admonishing one another. So we're, when we come, we're giving things to each other. It talks about this amazing thing. Dean's dying to know what these three different uh, words mean. Sorry, Dean, can't help you much. Wisdom, singing songs, hymns, spiritual songs. I kinda know what they are but these are all different aspects of ways of worshiping God and speaking to God and each other and encouraging one another did you feel that this morning in worship we're not only speaking with God but we're hearing each other declare the goodness of God the freedom of God we're doing that together in this place it gets done corporately and it gets done individually It gets done in connect groups and in small groups this is what God has designed us to do but we have to cooperate with God in that it's not automatic we wake up and say Lord what a journey is ahead today. What, what's on your planner for me today? What are the things that you want to work on? I want to cooperate with you, God, today. I want to become more like Jesus. I want to end up looking more like Jesus at the end of the day than I did at the beginning of the day. Especially for some of you when the alarm goes off. That's a long trip, right? Okay? So we need to choose to put on these spiritual clothes. Um, look at verse 17 as it closes. This is such a great summary to help tie in chapter two and chapter three and whatever you do in word or deed do everything in the name of the lord jesus giving thanks to god the father through him how do you line up this preach in chapter three with a preach from last week about don't do don't handle don't do all the rules here's how you line it up it's not about rules it's not about ticking off boxes. it's about doing everything in the name of lord jesus Getting that perspective that he is in me and everything that I, every conversation I have, I want you to flow out of me, Jesus. With thankfulness, I want that to start to come out of me. Isn't that more fun than thinking about some little box to tick off every day? Okay, I was thankful. Did that. Merciful, half a box, you know. (laughs) I don't want to live like that, you know. But Jesus in me spilling out, flowing over into my wife's life and my children's life and my co-workers' life and the students that I'm with or wherever I am, that seems like a wonderful way to do it. And that's exactly what he's saying at the end of the chapter. Forget the lists, forget the rules, but don't forget that God wants to make changes in your life in the midst of that. He's got things that he wants to do. This is harder than the do's and don'ts. I mentioned that last week. We love rules because they're quantifiable. But how many of you know that relationships are not quantifiable? My love relationship with my wife is not six boxes to check. If it ever gets that way, she knows it well before I do. You know, It's not about some things to check off. It's about a, in a relationship together, living life and loving each other as we go through the day. That's a great picture of where we are with God. That's what he wants to do with us and through us. He's reaching out to have that kind of relationship. So those changes just come organically because we're hanging out with him. How many of you know that when you start to hang out with a person, you will become like them? Uh, my daughter and I were sitting at the stupid store parking lot on yesterday, and we were watching all the people go go back and forth. And she said, "Look at all the old folks that come in here. The married people—they look like each other." <laughs> I said, "Hannah, we've been married 35 years. Are you saying something?" <laughs> "No, your mother's not growing a beard." You start to look like the people you hang out with. You you know that for good or for bad. That's a little wake-up call for us in two rooms of who we're hanging out with. But it's true about with God. The more we hang out with him, the more we spend time with him, just enjoying him and, and walking with him, we start to look like him without any kind of do's and don'ts. It just happens. And that's what I believe God is calling us and reaching out for us today is to say, I want to just walk with you. I want to make that happen through relationship, through the power of my Holy Spirit. I want to make you look more like Jesus because that's who I've created you to be. Invite the worship team up front here. I'm going to ask all of our deacon team to come up front and our elders couples. Just spread out across the front here. Make yourself homely. Really felt like this morning it might just be a neat opportunity to, we don't do this too much, but just to have someone come along inside and pray with you this morning. And our deacons and our elders have been praying and preparing for this morning. And I think this is the piece that I want to invite you to do. And God will show you this. But it might be that there are some people here that feel like they're saved. You know that. You, you know you're going to go to heaven. You know Jesus has come in your life. But maybe you're just stuck. You know what I mean? You just can't get past where you are in Jesus. And you have a sense that there's more. You hear a message like this and you say, I want more. I want to grow more. I want to walk more with Jesus. But I, I, I'm stuck. If that's the case this morning, I just invite you to come up to somebody and just, and just pray with them. Let them pray with you this morning. Uh, you know, it could be a sin that is blocking your way that God says, we need to deal with this before we can go on. You know, let God deal with that. You know, it could be a disappointment. It could be unforgiveness or something that you're hanging on to that's, that's got you locked up, that's not allowing you to go forward. But it's the great thing about the body of Christ is when we pray together, God brings strength for us. And so I'm just inviting you. We're going to have an extended time of worship and just listening before the Lord. You're welcome to just hang out and stay where you are. If you have to go, bless you. If you want some people to pray with you, invite you to come up. Let's stand together just for a little bit and worship. Yeah.
1: Sorry, just, just off the back of what Mark shared this morning, I just feel like, just to remind you of one phrase that Mark said, and I, I feel this is just worth highlighting because this is the gist of whether you're going to take this opportunity this morning or not, it was, it's not automatic, this, it's a choice that we make, we don't humble ourselves, God humbles us. Uh, And, sorry, we humble ourselves, God doesn't humble us. And the Bible says, as we humble ourselves under His mighty hand, He lifts us up. And so, it's not automatic, it's a choice. Mark highlighted that. And so, I just want to reiterate, as we come into this moment, don't... You're not coming up here to confess. This is not a confessional booth situation this morning where you're coming to tell us your sin. You're coming to uh, say to God, the priority is you, Lord. The priority is you. And I want to humble myself under your hand as you lift me up this morning. That's the first thing. And then the second thing is don't worry about others around you. Church, honestly, this is business with God. It's not business with people. It's business with God. You can actually pray this right where you're seated, or you can just come and say, man, I want somebody just to stand with me. Either is acceptable before God. We're not in religion. We're in relationship. But don't, don't let the opportunity go past.